The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. The preciousness of our lives, the rarity of our lives. There's an ancient teaching that, from the Buddha that um, the chances of being born as a human being are the same as the chances of a blind turtle that's swimming in the great ocean, that that turtle would surface through the hole <coughs> of a log that had a hole in it. So imagine a log floating across the whole Pacific and the blind turtle kind of floating around and that it should surface and stick its head up through the water through that hole of the log. That's as much chance as you have of being born as a human being. So, congratulations. <laughs> you won the lottery. The, uh, so the idea that it's pretty precious, pretty special to be a human being. And in a, in a worldview where there's you know, the idea of multiple lives, to be reborn as a human being is, um, if it's so rare, this gives you a golden opportunity. It's really precious, it's valuable, it's something to value. And, quite special to have this. Um, the, um, uh, and so the Buddha said, if you surveyed the entire world, you would find no one dearer than yourself. Since each person is most dear to him or herself, those who love themselves should not bring harm to anyone. So a couple of things is that first, to, uh, rather than thinking that you don't count, but everyone else counts, and you know, uh, here he says that you don't find anyone else who's more dear to yourself. Partly because if you're gonna radiate out from your heart, who do you think you're first gonna run into? <laughs> and um, and this, you know, that this, this person who's closest to you is, you know, certainly warrants, deserves, you know, so this is kind of special. And, um, and then also it tie this quote, those who love themselves should not bring harm to anyone. And this is a, a logic that appears in the suttas often, that um, there's something about uh, self-love, self-care, self, that uh, if you have it really for yourself, then you would, be, you would not want to cause harm to someone else. And, um, and so the connection between love and harm, loving kindness and harmlessness is something that's deeply connected in the Buddhist tradition. And uh, you saw earlier in the, what I read this morning as well, that the idea of being harmless, that being de- delighting in harmlessness, uh, it goes together with uh, having loving kindness. And then I thought I'd read you the, um, in this uh, treatise written a thousand years after the Buddha called the uh, Magga. There's a, a, by this time, Buddhists had gotten into defining things very carefully. You know, the Buddha didn't define things so much. You have to understand in context. And the problem when you define things too much, it kind of, kind of narrows it and makes it kind of rigid a little bit too much. But it's also helpful to get them to tear, in the, on board. <clears throat> so with that as a, so this uh, text says, the characteristic of loving kindness is to promote beneficial conditions for beings. Its essential quality is focusing on what is beneficial. 
its manifestation is the removal of malice. Its proximate cause is seeing the loveliness of beings. It succeeds when we make all when we it, it succeeds when we make ill will subside, and it fails when it produces sticky affection. <laughs> yeah. So, the the characteristic of loving kindness is to promote beneficial conditions for beings. So to promote the well-being of others, beings. Um, its essential quality is focusing on what is beneficial. So there has to be some focus on what's beneficial for people, for yourself and for others, some sense of what that is. If you have no sense of what's beneficial, then it's hard to wish people goodwill because, you know, it's just kind of empty then. Its manifestation is the removal of malice. So when loving kindness is there, there's no more malice, no more hostility. Its proximate cause is seeing the loveliness of beings. So the closest reason that prompts it is to see how people are beautiful, or see what's beautiful in people. I think more likely what's beautiful in people. And uh, certainly for me, that uh, seems like uh, the more I've practiced, the more I see how beautiful people are. There's some beautiful quality. And, and, um, and sometimes it's not, you know, as, as I've seen it more and more in people. <clears throat> I hope it doesn't distract from it the value of it in your eyes, but um, it's, not, it's not even personal for them. Right? I, I, just the fact that there's the spark of awareness and a heart that beats, and it's just lovely to see that someone's, you know, just how the, their eyes and conscious being conscious, and, and um, it's just so lovely. But then there's all these good qualities in people too, and one of the delights of being a teacher, Buddhist teacher, is I get to, uh, I get to, in so many ways, meet people at their best. I mean, I mean, sometimes it's very nice they bring their worst to me, which is nice, because what they're doing is they bring their worst, but there's so much sincerity and so much sense of trying to work through it and find their way the other side of it and heal it, whatever. And that's the best, that the fact that they're willing to be honest and address it and work through it and all that. And... Um, so I feel very fortunate in this role that I have, that I get to see so much beauty in people, so much loveliness in people as they engage in their life as sincerely as they can. So somehow take the time to see the loveliness of beings. And uh, that takes a, it takes a few things. One of the things it takes is uh, pausing long enough to notice. Um, if you're preoccupied and caught up in your desires or your hostilities or fears, and then it's uh, very hard to s- stop and, and look and see. And uh, I regularly, when I go to the supermarket and the check-in counter, I'm kind of reflecting that I'm going to have this brief, brief moment with this checkout clerk. And I know that if um, it's possible within 30 seconds to have a kind of heartfelt connection with someone, a straight, complete stranger. And I, I kind of wonder, is this, is this the time? And, um, you know, do I want to? <laughs> um, the... Um, you know, or do I do I, am I do I open to it? Do I let the conditions be there so that if the person's open, that uh, that can happen? Or am I open? Sometimes they're more open than I am, and so am I ready to receive that and stop for that? But it takes a stopping and willing to see someone, maybe look in their eyes, and to kind of really be there rather than kind of packing my bags and on to the next thing, and as if the person's hardly there. But it's possible in 30 seconds to have something really. So stop and see the loveliness of people and have the ability to do that, the appreciation of people. 
It succeeds when it makes ill will subside and fails when it produces sticky affection. So let's do a short sitting. So gently close your eyes and take a few breaths. And as you exhale, settle into your body. And if you're tired at the end of lunch or early afternoon, um, don't fight it, it's okay. Kind of as you breathe in, don't exactly fall asleep, but as you breathe in, don't fight it, just kind of relax. It almost maybe can, tiredness can help you with relaxing and settling in. As if you're caring for yourself and just kind of being here in a simple way. As you exhale, Settling into your inner being, into the heart of who you are. Breathing in, breathing out. As you exhale, perhaps you can relax your shoulders a bit. Soften your belly. And spending a minute or two now just kind of Fine-tuning yourself to the rhythm of breathing in and out, the rhythm and the way in which the body breathing affects your body as your body moves slightly, that rhythm of movement and sensation. And then, using your imagination, 
Or if you don't feel like you have much imagination, just imagine you're imagining. Imagine a situation maybe that happened in your life where someone with whom you have a relatively uncomplicated relationship was your benefactor. expressed some kindness to you. You felt their goodwill, their generosity and goodness towards you. Their care, their care, their care, their care for you. And, and you were the recipient of their goodwill. Maybe they did something nice for you. And with no sense of obligation for you to do anything in return, without any need to even say thank you sitting here, let yourself be the, just the recipient of that. And, and feel what it's like to be on the receiving end of someone's goodness and goodwill. What happens inside of you below any fear you have about the relationship of what they've done, what you have to do in return, in the simplest parts of your heart? What does it feel like for you to feel this person's goodwill? receiving end of someone's goodwill or remembering someone's goodwill, what parts of your body seem to get energized or alive to respond to this? Imagine that your friend or this person, maybe you can just imagine them sitting in front of you, looking at you with kind eyes, smile perhaps. You feel their goodwill, their kindness. And see if you can be an open recipient to this goodwill. Allow it to come into you without any resistance. It's almost as if it comes into you and out the back through you. Fills, fills you. You can even allow yourself a little smile as you receive it.
And then letting go of this imagination, letting go of thinking of this person in front of you or the memory, putting aside any, the idea that you're the recipient, <clears throat> either the recipient or the giver of loving kindness, goodwill. See if you can allow for warm-heartedness to surface, a general feeling of loving-kindness that just is here. Not a giver of it, not a receiver of it, it just is. Maybe where it's found, it's found when you relax most deeply into the heart. Using your breathing to kind of stay connected to this feeling of goodwill, love, loving kindness, kindness. Breathe through it, breathe with it. Letting the breathing be almost like a wind carries a, a scent widely, carries a smell far away. Let the wind of breathing expand and spread. Whatever kindness, tenderness, warmth you find in your heart.
if you surveyed the entire world, you would not find anyone dearer than yourself, since each person is most dear to him or herself. Those who love themselves would not bring harm to anyone. If uh, a person is off balance, say you're standing on one foot, reaching forward with one hand and and then sudden, suddenly you get the feeling that, well, that's fine, but <clears throat> you have to also reach forward with the other hand in a slightly different direction then you'd probably topple over. So you, if you're unbalanced to begin with, your efforts to do other things probably make you even more imbalanced. Or if you have no core, if you have no center, then and all you know is how to do things on the periphery It'll, you'll always be a little bit imbalanced because there's no ballast for it. So with that, um, there's a book, this book that's written a thousand years after the Buddha, has a whole chapter on the Brahma Viharas. And a big part of this chapter has to do with how to overcome ill will, resentment. Because that's the obstacle to having for loving kindness. And, um, and there's a lot of obstacles we can have. Their fear is an obstacle, ill will is an obstacle. Um, <clears throat> lust can be an obstacle because lust maybe can look like love, but it's not the same thing as loving kindness, so it gets in the way. There's lots of things that get in the way. And, um, and the thing about, so they have to be resolved somehow, you have to come to terms with them so that if you want to come from a loving place that you can, you can do so. And so the thing about these is that um, all the obstacles to love can be seen as being imbalanced states. And if we then now try to get into balance, try to bring love in while we're imbalanced, it's not going to work. We're going to topple over. You have to first come into balance or come back to center. And... Um, and to say it a different way, 
the, all the things that get in the way of loving kindness, I think of as centrifugal forces of the mind or heart away from itself. And if you try to resolve the hindrances, the problems, with more centrifugal force to go out, you get more and more imbalanced. And so the art of this is how do you get back into balance, come back into the center? And one of the ways is to go through the hindrance, through that difficulty. So rather than continue to let this difficulty, whatever it be, centrifugal force out, I hate that person, I gotta do something with that person, I'm gonna get, you know, I'm gonna probably go poke their tires. Whatever, you know, off you go, right? You're spinning out. <clears throat> and um, it just takes, it takes you away from yourself. But if you say, I'm, you know, I've got to be loving, and boy, you know, this, I'm in a Buddhist center after all, and I've got to be more, you know, so you, so you still have all this resentment to this person, but so you're going to, you know, just, I'm going to smile and be, you know, <laughs> and be loving, and, you know, who can I be loving to? <laughs> I mean, and, um, and so, there, so it's like layers and layers of imbalance. So that the art is, is, to, is to take that centrifugal force outwards and, and turn it around so it's a, more like a, a, a force that brings you back in. And you can bring, it starts by going back in through the difficulty. So being really honest about the difficulty and seeing it clearly is a very important part of the Buddhist spirituality. And then learning how to relate to it with, without doing more of this spinning out but rather relate to it in a way that's settling. It brings you into the center through it. So it involves kind of being present for it, knowing how to be present for it without reactivity, and learning in a sense how to be comfortable with it or how to re- relax into it. And to be comfortable with all your shortcomings. Isn't this great? That's what that's the task. And uh, I know some of you don't have shortcomings, but for those of you who have, li- <laughs> who have little, little pieces of them, this is, this is relevant is, uh, you know, to be comfortable with your shortcomings uh, is part of the task of this Buddhist spirituality and uh, as opposed to spinning out some more because of it. And then as you begin to acknowledge and be comfortable and willing to stay there, then there's a chance to kind of settle in or fall in deeper and deeper and then to come back into a center, into a core. Um, uh, And then from that place, there can be a... Then we can talk about there being kindness, being love because we're back in touch in a deep place and we're back in balance in a sense. So one of the really important qualities, factors that support any kind of love, healthy kind of love, is relaxation. Without relaxation, we're, you know, we're imbalanced. Without relaxation, we're kind of on the edges rather than deeply connected inside. So what I'd like to do now is do an exercise that some of you might opt out of, don't want to do it, that's fine. You can sit here quietly and let other people do it, or you go for a walk around the block, or, or you can do the risky thing and do it. Anyway, my kids, you know, when my kids were small, they'd say, I don't want to do it. And I'd say, you don't have to want to, to in order to do it. <laughs> you know, this is usually, if, you know, like, I don't know. Things we have to do, right? The kids don't necessarily want to do it. So, um, so this, is, this exercise is called the repeating question. And how it works is that um, you'll pair up with one other person, and, uh, and one of you is in the role of asking the question. And your role, and the second, and the other one is the role of answering. The person, when the person is answered, 
has finished, the role of the questioner is first is to say thank you. That's like maybe the most important part of this exercise, is your thank you. And then you pause first, just pause for half a second, and then you ask the question again. Answer, thank you, ask the question again. So the que- same question is being repeated. And what happens in the repeating question format is that some of the obvious answers we might have and that are already kind of almost like preformed uh, come out first, kind of the first things. But after a while, you've kind of used up the reservoir of the usual question, usual answers, usual way of understanding, usual way of thinking that prompts you to kind of respond to the world. And then something deeper begins to open up, some deeper stretching or opening or questioning or wondering or... And because the same question, and you've asked, you already answered the usual ways, that makes some space in the mind for new answers to pop up. You know, because there's so many different circumstances where the question is relevant. So first you just thought more universally, and then you thought, well, actually, I remember at work. At work, I would have answered it this way, in that situation or something. So, so the question, so, so you used to see what comes up as answers. And now, this exercise is for your sake when you're answering the question. You're not there to, for the sake of the person asking the question to inform them about anything. They're just a witness and they're the prompter. It's just all for yourself to explore this on your own. Because I say that, underscore that, because uh, ordinary conversation is also of, often an attitude of trying to inform the, the listener, letting them know and then we, t- we, we provide much more information than we need for ourselves. This is just for yourself. So you can even use in shorthand. You, you know, if you know the story, you don't have to say it again. Does it make sense? And um, because you want to have more opportunities to answer the question. But if you do like five minute monologue about, you know, about, you know, after the first qu- time the question's asked, then you don't have that chance for the take in the repetition and what happens with the repetition. So, so you, you understand the idea? Okay. The question is, um, what gets in the way of your goodwill? What gets in the way of your goodwill? And um, so it's just very simple. And Now, you don't have to, if something comes up that you don't want to share with a person you know, witnessing you. This is not like true confessions. <laughs> so um, you could uh, just say, you know, ask again, or you could say um, uh, uh, something. <laughs> there's, there's something there, or, or, you know, you can just say something vague or something, or say that, that, you know, something came, you can even say, something came up and I, I don't want to say it out loud or uh, you know, whatever you want to do, take care of yourself. You, but you, know, you don't have to kind of just, just because it's in your mind, you don't have to say it, depending on how you feel about sharing it with someone. And, um, and then um, at some point I'll ring the bell, and at that point you can all stop, and we'll take a, a minute or so, just close your eyes, and I'll say this, but close your eyes and just breathe, and, and get ready for switching roles. And then uh, the person who was... Uh, Answering the question now becomes the person who answers the question. So, is that any questions about how that works? Yes. Can I just number my answers? <laughs> That's number three. Number three. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
I mean, if you if you don't, if that's the how you're going to avoid, you know, saying something really private, you can't do that. But, but uh, see, it's also I think if you hear yourself say it, I think something happens to us. Just like in the, in the circle before, you heard other people and it affected you. And this way, hearing yourself speak has an effect. So if you just say number three, it probably won't work the same way. And uh, <laughs> and um, so. Um, Anything else? So I don't know if we're a even number here, but uh, let's see if um, maybe uh, would you hold off if you're not. So, so let's see. Uh, why don't you all, um, uh, if, you, if you want to do this, uh, I'd encourage you to do it. But find a partner, and then sit down, and um, and then uh, you, when you're ready, you can start and wait for my bell. And if you don't find anyone near you, come to the front. That's kind of like the... So thank you all very much for doing that. So I imagine that um, it was, this, this exercise was different for each one of you. And different for every pair. It was different than the other pairs of people. And so it might be nice to hear a little bit of the range of what this was like. Anybody like to share a little bit what it was like to do that? And especially as a person answering the question, because you, we, we, we don't want to make public comments about what, <laughs> you know, how, how brilliant they were in their responses. <laughs> but, uh, but what was it like to be, be answering that question repeatedly? And So, what was it like to answer the question, or what to was listen? that ex- exercise like? What was it li- like for you to do the exercise as a as a responder to the question? It was very powerful because I had to keep going deeper and deeper, and it's like, why? What is keeping me from being open? You know, it's like, and to have to keep digging deeper, and it felt like this bottomless pit in a way. I mean, sometimes I would just stop it I don't know but then it would go deeper and I guess what I need to say is that then when I was asking the question and the person's responses just kept I kept my own exploration I mean internally yeah it continued great so and it just felt like this is so important Mm, nice thank you very much thanks I was gonna say the exact same thing it was just (laughs) But I, I have a slight, slightly different thing to add. It was, it was so powerful. Um, and the thing that I really noticed was the temptation to answer with my mind. Uh, my mind has all kinds of ideas about, you know, the answer to the question. And I noticed the first one was like my mind's answer. And then the second one and all the subsequent ones, I was really trying to like not say anything until I had dropped the grasping with the mind and was able to feel into it in my felt sense. Um, and that was much more amorphous and vague and kind of like, oh, there's just this sensation in my heart or there's this tightness in my throat. But it was very trustworthy and it, I, it kept taking me deeper and deeper. And then about halfway through, the answer was, I don't feel anything blocking my goodwill I, and I was almost in tears of just like the 
the op- the, the mm. radiant openness and joy of lo- looking around and kind of loving everyone and what <laughs> and that happened I think in part because I really uh, didn't answer with my my mind mm. yeah, that deepening happened because I really tried not to answer very as much nice great my, thank you yeah so over here. I, I wanted to go next because one of my, the last thing I said, now that I'm thinking about it, I went first in responding, was what gets in the way of your goodwill? I answered figments of my imagination, which I got to at the very end um, after a, a lot of other responses. So in a way, it melted away for me as well, and I realized that there's a choice to either let them get in the way or go inward and work mm. on it. Um, and then I just, I, I liked how it was anonymous. You know, I didn't have to say more than one to four words. And it didn't point to any experience. It, it, I knew what it pointed <laughs> to. And that was really beautiful because I didn't really have to describe something to a room full of strangers. So I like that. Great. Thank you. Um, I've always just sort of joined in with um, the thought of may all beings be happy, may all beings be well, you know, this sort of thing. And and when I started thinking what gets in the way of my goodwill, I was really thinking what gets in my, the way of my goodwill towards nice people. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good thing to discover. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, what gets in the way of my goodwill towards my family, uh-huh. you know, people in my community. And then what really got me was what gets in the way of my goodwill towards people who perpetrate crimes on children, mm-hmm. which is, I can't tolerate the mm-hmm. thought of. I mean, I am for children. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to give goodwill towards all, but I had an amazing partner who helped me at least explore that. And, but I, I noticed that, oh, I have this boundary about who I'm really wishing goodwill for mm-hmm. that I didn't know I had. It's important to see. Thank you. Thank you, Carla. That reminded me that sometimes uh, I can wish goodwill towards people who do bad things, um, but it's got a little instrumental hook to it, as in, uh, may so-and-so be peaceful and happy so that he won't lead us into war. Or may so-and-so be peaceful or happy so that she won't bug us and call us and yell at us. Or any one of those. There's a qualifier. There's a my desire in there. A reason for wishing them goodwill. So it's not completely pure, I guess. I don't know, I don't know if it needs to be pure. I, don't, I, I didn't get that in my manual. <laughs> that had to be pure. So to me, it felt uh, like every time the question was asked, I was uh, like holding a torch and going inside and trying to find out what is it. So each time you discover this new thing inside, and uh, 
So these questions really struck that way. Mm, nice. And you are searching inside your own self. And uh, did you, yeah. were you surprised by some of the answers? Yeah, yeah, I was, really. Great. And uh, so, uh, the, I mean, after answering more questions, uh, the first ones came up easily, but then there were, you had to take time to really look for, and uh, they were not so easy to even express, but uh, yeah, it was wonderful. Great, great, thank you. So, um, I think we both kind of agreed on, on um, a number, we resonated together on a lot of things, but I think the one that really struck me the most is um, the limit of goodwill is kind of limited by one's self-compassion. And I can remember for two years doing meta practice and I couldn't do it for myself because it felt very uncomfortable. And eventually it came back around. And, and the more I think the self-compassion develops, the more compassion that I have to give to others. So it's important practice. Mm, thank you. So one of the things I wanted to share about was how it was landing on me. And when I was listening to the answers, like a lot of them were like touching deeply into my own yeah. sort of questions. And it was very beautiful because I felt this sense of deep interconnectedness with my partner mm. where so many of so much of the beauty and also so much of the struggles are like so shared and so universal and it was not a bad thing it was actually something really nice mm -hmm. because it sort of brought a sense of ease and like a sense of support and sangha and empathy mm, nice so yeah i was very grateful for the exercise great yeah i suspect that uh a high percentage of the obstacles to loving-kindness, to goodwill, are pretty universal. They're shared by people. And if you felt that you were the only one who had obstacles, <laughs> I hope that this... Go ahead. Yeah. Um, when Heather and I were finished, uh, I, and you asked the question, you know, what, what might you share about the experience? I was really struck with this deep, like meta, you know, for the unity, the the commonality. The I felt like there was no difference between the two of us at all. Mm. There was no separation. It just felt, you know. And it's funny. I mean, she's come here for years, and we've never had that kind of interaction in all these years. So it was just, I said, wow, you know, there's just that tremendous bond I felt. And we talked about that, both of us. So it's really sweet. Nice. Great. Well, thank you all very much. So um, 
it uh, can be fairly personal, some of the exchanges of how you are, how you were with this. So um, uh, you should probably uh, keep what, a little bit, I don't know, keep it personal. Or I don't know if confidential needs to be exactly the right word, but close to that. But uh, if you see your partner again during the break or some other time, um, uh, don't assume that you're just going to pick up and talk about, make comments about anything about having to do with what it was like, including sharing your side of it. Let me, I didn't really mean that, <laughs> you know, or something. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, maybe ask for permission. Say, is it okay? Can, you know, I, I want to, you know, would it be okay to bring up, talk about something about our little conversation and, and make sure that the other person is fine with it? Because it's kind of touching. It's very personal. And, and, um, and maybe this is a good time to do a silent break. Uh, just uh, kind of respect what happened, how it was, and then um, and we'll come back and do our last session. So we'll come back at uh, 2.30, and um, so try to make a silent break and, uh, and um, enjoy the, time, the break. Thank you.